So God, we do ask that you would come refresh us. The scriptures say you refresh your weary inheritance. And we just confess that there are places in us that are weary and looking for your refreshment. Yes, God. So would you bring it now here today for us and through us? God, this is your portion for your time, for your people, us included. And so we ask that your anointing would fall on Sherry and myself. We ask that your anointing would fall on the hearts of everyone that would receive this. God, we're asking for your leadership for just this next piece. God, where would you take us? Friends, this is Morgan and Sherry Snyder, and welcome to another edition of the Become Good Soil podcast. We're really honored to be with you, particularly in this series as we're experimenting with conversations on these footers that form the foundation of wholehearted living, particularly in the expression of marriage. We're just aware that marriage is fraught with both deep problem and deep possibility and it's just in many ways an epicenter of of human relating so there's a lot that we will explore in the context of marriage that really applies to every type of genuine relationship we have but as sherry and i were chatting before this We're just mindful that we're using marriage as a window to get to the deep matters of the soul. As we explore the deep matters of the soul, what we're truly after is integration of the whole person and union, union with God and healthy, holy union with others. And so today we want to explore a particular area in conversation that has been absolutely central in our marriage. And as we've both experienced and observed in the lives of people we deeply care about, this is simply one of the greatest categories of maturation and possibility of diving into the full portion of what God has available in marriage. So welcome. And Sherry, welcome to you. Glad to be back here with you. Thanks, buddy. Before we dive into this fundamental category and this big idea of the plank and the speck explored by Jesus in Matthew 7, I'd love for you to give some framework Mm -hmm. or some context to this particular teaching. Sure, Mark. As we may remember Matthew 7 and what Jesus is illuminating about this way that plank and speck operate in relationship is part of what um, has historically been called the Sermon on the Mount. And frankly, for many, many years in my Christian life, I thought that the Sermon on the Mount was merely Jesus's punctuation mark on how, quote-unquote, righteousness apart from God is a futile pursuit. And almost as if he were driving the point home that we could never have a righteousness, a rightness of being apart from God. And the way I interpreted that had a secondary message of, so why 
even try? Why pay any attention to some of the quote-unquote commandments? And it's really been through Dallas Willard that I've had a complete reintroduction to the Sermon on the Mount, and it has been thrilling, sincerely thrilling, I would say, over the last several years. And what I have perceived Dallas's teaching around the Sermon on the Mount connects actually with the end of Matthew 7, where Jesus says, whoever hears my words and puts them into practice, she is like the one who builds her house on a rock. And I had missed that there was an emphasis on the putting into practice what Jesus was saying. And what I have come to see and am testing out, and Mark, I would say you and I are testing out together, mm-hmm. is something that Dallas has helped me see, which is that Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, Trinitarian reality is both the author and the substance of reality. Therefore, it isn't that Jesus comes and imposes something arbitrary upon us that somehow negates or goes against the nature of reality. Rather, Jesus illuminates the nature of reality. Jesus embodies it, and then He illuminates it for us. And that the way that we can come to know reality, and um, sometimes we use the word truth, the truth that Jesus offers is actually through putting it into practice and finding it to be reliable and solid, finding for ourselves indeed that it is a part of reality, that we're, we're hitting bedrock in the way things are. And that just is awesome for me. And for me, I, I realize it's been part of the answer to that kind of agony that I felt over decades of, God, how do I take what I quote-unquote know in my head, my, my creedal statements, and cause them to be interactive knowledge in my whole being, to cause them to be something I quote, know in my heart. And I just feel like Jesus said, oh my goodness, here's one way. One way is to put Jesus's words into practice and to find them to be bedrock, to mm-hmm. find them to be true. And that's how I get to build my house on a rock. I get to build the house of my being on reality. It just has been life-changing for me and has made me so excited and thirsty to be a student of Jesus through the Sermon on the Mount, to gather with his friends as one of his friends on proverbial hillside and listen to him and let him engage me and invite my engagement with him over the nature of reality. Sherry, it's so helpful to hear it in those terms and especially that phrase of putting it into practice. To me, that feels accessible. To me, it feels kind. It feels experimental. It feels like something that's a lot more about training than trying, right? Yes, And just even, and what I appreciate as you're sharing those words is I've observed that in you over time, over years now, and particularly in this subject. This is simply something that we have put into practice over time, and we have found this to be deeply and profoundly reliable, right? Yes, reliable. I love that word. In other words, it's that reliability means 
by practicing, we have found it to be true to transform our marriage, Mm. to mature us in union and in oneness. And not only marriage, but as a context for all sorts of other relationships, right? In our work, in our redemptive community, in our family, with our kids. Sherry, to draw specifically from the words in Divine Conspiracy, where you are calling these beautiful and brilliant big ideas, um, this is how Dallas says it. He begins with quoting Jesus, where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, whoever hears these words of mine and does them is like those intelligent people who build their houses upon rock, standing firm against every pressure of life. And then Dallas goes on to say how life-giving It would be if their understanding of the gospel allowed them to simply reply to Jesus's teaching, I will do them. I will find out how. I will devote my life to it. This is the best life strategy I've ever heard of. And then go off to their fellowship and to its teachers and into their daily life to learn how to live in his kingdom as Jesus indicated was best. So we'd like to dive into a very rubber meets the road, messy, beautiful, practical category, right? This isn't really broad theological concepts. We're taking a big idea of Jesus's teaching from the Sermon on the Mount and trying to put it into practice, Mm -hmm. right? So Sherry, could you take us into Matthew 7 and this teaching from the Sermon on the Mount? You bet, Morg. So this is Matthew 7, verse 1 through 5. Jesus says to his friends and disciples, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Morg, I'd like to actually read it again. Friends, this time I'm going to put Morgan's and my name in this and I urge you to perhaps practice this in your own life. Let it be as familial and familiar as I believe it is, as I believe we can experiment with letting it be. One, I think of the challenges with the Sermon on the Mount is in some cases, Jesus just sounds so strange, if not harsh and abrasive, even borderlining contemptuous or irritated or impatient with his disciples. And as I've meditated on this, I, I wonder if he isn't being far more familial and personal. And the reason that it seems almost abrasive is actually because the context is so intimate, is so familiar, that he is talking with those who have followed him. He's talking with friends. So I would invite you to make the Sermon on the Mount very personal and see if that changes how you experience it. So here it is. Do not judge, Morgan and Sherry, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge each other, you will be judged. With the measure you use on each other, it will be measured to you. 
Sherry, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in Morgan's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How could you say to Morgan, Morg, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Sherry, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from Morgan's eye. It's such a powerful passage. And Sherry, one of the kind of notes I just want to to name for our friends out there to begin with is I've not found a more powerful passage as it relates to marriage, but the translation using the word brother mm-hmm. could, could already throw people mm-hmm. off. And in the original text in Greek, uh, just to be clear, that word is pronounced adelphos. And what it means, it can mean brother in the sense of a familial context, but it means far more than that. Um, One of the core definitions of that word is a fellow believer Mm. united to another by the bond of affection. Mm, Powerful. United to another by the bond of affection. So what I want to name is it is particular, but it's also uh, meant to be inclusive. It's a general and I might say generative term that was meant to communicate the bond of affection between two people who desire to love each other, mm. to be in dynamic and growing and maturing mm-hmm. relationship. So it has everything mm-hmm. to do with mm-hmm. a healthy marriage mm-hmm. or intimate friendship, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that's where it's really important to say, how can we apply this to marriage? Because mm-hmm. the unique thing about marriage is, let's be honest, it's probably the messiest relationship for most people who are married because it's the most vulnerable and the most revealing Mm -hmm. of both um, our brokenness, but also the goodness that's at work in our lives. Yes. Gosh, that's powerful, Morg. And I, I appreciate the word dynamic that you used because that really strikes me as it relates to the first part of Matthew 7, the first two verses where Jesus is talking about judgment. And I wonder, again, if the way I've been wondering about that is Jesus, I feel like he's he's calling me out on my propensity to try to relate to you, for example, mm-hmm. as if you're static, as if I could kind of, with some authoritative position, know and declare and have kind of vast visibility on exactly what's going on with you, exactly who you are, what your motives are. He is calling me out, I feel like, on a a latent presumptuousness that I kind of can nail down exactly who you are, Morgan, what's going on for you. And rather than practicing greeting you hour by hour or day by day as if you are a dynamic being with ever fresh experiences with God who knows what you've encountered or been thinking about even in the last hour. So for me to relate to you as if you're static so cuts off the freshness and the co-creativity of what what our interaction in this moment might be. And it, it really um, bogs down I think the, the the curiosity and the wonder and the the alternative to that kind of judgment that I am prone to doing of you or mm-hmm. sizing you up 
the alternative seems like a curiosity, a wonder, um, kind of an amused, okay, God, what have you and Morgan been up to the last mm-hmm. couple of days or hours? It just changes it. And, and then I think about what it would be like if to for you to relate to me that way. You know, I was late to our podcast today, and I felt the temptation to um, anticipate your judgment and also to judge myself, to essentially heap on myself this declarative statement of that's who you are, that's who you always are, it's who you've always been, you'll never change, and to feel the whole weight of my past on my own shoulders and then anticipating you relating to me um, as if I'm static, as if this will never change and this will always be and has always been. And I was so refreshed because you you did not relate to me that way. And even as I was coming up the stairs, I felt God say, actually, don't assume Morg is going to do that. What if you practice a curiosity of how will he respond to me being late again? What if he doesn't respond with irritation and frustration? What if he responds with, a delight or an amusement or a a place of affection. And that just opens up for me a whole different way of relating. Um, It causes me to not be as self-protective, assuming they're judging me, and it causes me to not be as virulent in Mm -hmm. my judgments of you. It causes me to have a posture of a lot more space to breathe and to give you more space and me more space with the hope of our ongoing dynamic ever-changing, ever-growing, becoming. Well, it's brilliant that the Holy Spirit would set up this conversation Mm -hmm. this morning with that reality, Mm -hmm. right, of you being late. It's just, it's actually perfect um, application Mm -hmm. of this passage because I I just want to name and confess that wasn't always my response to you being late. And for many years, that was rarely my response to you being late, or I should say my reaction to you being late, right? I mean, it's a great application. Let's let's just dive into it. Sure, so sure. we have this invitation that Jesus is putting out where he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in Sherry's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And so by way of example, you know, historically in years past, there's been a pattern of you being late and Jesus is naming that as a speck of sawdust, right? (laughs) I just have to pause and laugh for a second. And I just need to give a shout out to all of our hearers. (laughs) I can't believe we're having this conversation live. (laughs) Well, you know, you know, there's half the people are going, oh my goodness, I'm always late. The other half are going, yes, they're always late. And both people are waiting for justification. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Right? Okay. But it's so stacked. It's so stacked. It is. But Sherry, for years, Honestly, in confession, I would simply not be able to look by the fact that you're late, right? I would judge you for it. And I would think if only she weren't late, then fill in the blank. And I write a better story of my own personal happiness to our reputation, right? And Jesus is very clear, as you said in the introduction, of Jesus is giving us the model of where to find the best possible life is he says, that's your spec and I have a plank. I mean, it's it's ludicrous, his illustration, right? We we tried this on with our kids. We were trying to teach this to our kids and we have this plank in our house because Abigail has a balance beam. It's about an eight foot 
two by four wood plank that I've wrapped in carpet and it sits in our family room. And that was our plank. And then I brought in a ping pong paddle with some specks of sawdust from a project Joshua and I did in the garage. And so there before us was a wooden plank and some specks of sawdust. Jesus is very accessible, right? He's making it very clear that both two things I see in that. One is the focus is not your stuff. It's my stuff. Jesus is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just love in the translation of Peterson, Jesus is saying, a critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. Mm. It's easy to see a smudge in your neighbor's face and be oblivious mm. to the ugly sneer on your own. Mm. Oh, that's It, it has powerful, a way of Morgan. boomeranging. And so- Wow, could you read that again, Mark? That was just so Yeah, powerful. he says, don't pick on people, jump on their failures and criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. The critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Mm. And so That's Jesus powerful. is saying, your being late in this example is likened to the specks of sawdust on that ping pong paddle. And the issues of my heart of the rage and the justification and the anger and the silence are the plank, mm -hmm. are the wood plank. And so for years, I would justify my actions because I deemed it inappropriate or wrong for you to be late. And it took years to apply, to put into practice this teaching to say, what if Jesus is providing the pathway to life, mm -hmm. to true life, to real life? And what if your being late, as far as Jesus is concerned, has very little to do with the equation, but 100% of my energy must first go to, what's with my reaction? Hmm. Why the anger? Why the assumption, as you said, this prejudice towards, I'm assuming you will be late and waiting to punish you in the event that you are. And then the times that you're not, they get minimized because I have this lens of expectation that you will be late. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, what about your anger? What's with my anger? What's with my emotions mm -hmm. that are quite volatile? that I have this ability to fluctuate so quickly and such so vastly from happy to sad and high to low. What's with that? And it was only over years and years of looking under mm -hmm. the hood and beginning to consider mm -hmm. that the path of life was indeed owning 100% of my plank mm -hmm. and understanding that's where the action was for me. And it was only from that place that I could then begin to consider how to see you clearly and how to help you. Mm -hmm. And likewise, Morgan, I think for me, Jesus inviting me to see my habitual lateness as symptomatic of something much deeper that was the plank in my eye. The um, lateness was a manifestation of a incongruence in my worldview, and frankly, for me, a resistance to humbling myself to what I will call the gentle and firm hand of natural law. It was like I wanted to be able to, quote-unquote, be above the law, 
of nature. Tell me more. Get get very operational okay, here. So I realized that my, you know, where the true self and the false self sometimes cohabitate, my true self and how God made me is with this capacity to be very present, to be um, kind of with all of my senses and all of my attention come into a present moment. But there was a, a misalignment of that gift where I would value being present to a moment far above another value, which is to say there is a time to let a moment end in order to provide the margin to shift into a new moment and be present there. It was like I wanted to have my cake and eat it too. I wanted to constantly be able to be fully present and without um, any humility about the margin required to be able to be present to another moment later in the day. And so what would happen was I would be, you know, fully present to some moment, trying to drink it all in. And then I would feel very justified because of an overvaluation of that moment and maybe the pleasure it was giving me. And I would fail to agree with reality that actually I needed to let that moment end in order to participate with a giving and receiving of love and honor in whatever my next moment of responsibility was. And it just lent to this almost, I guess I would call it like a greed or a hoarding of of moments and a refusal to let them go in order to be present to the next moment. And so I would end up um, just being very chaotic and stressed as I would not give the margin needed between experiences and end up kind of, you know, dry, like speeding and feeling stressed and driving um, way too fast to try to make the next moment. And instead, Jesus really has helped me see that he invites me into a rhythm of engagement and then rest, engagement and rest. And as I've come to find that rhythm reliable, I am finding it actually a lot easier to step away from a moment, even when I feel like there's more nectar to drink from that particular moment. I feel like I've I've begun to agree with Jesus with reality that there's a, a time to drink and then there's a time to step away, even if my appetite doesn't feel fully satisfied, even if I'm let left wanting and then to provide the margin. And I've become to realize life is so much more enjoyable when I'm not chronically late. And in fact, some of the most beautiful moments I have in a day of communing with God happen in those margins. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm just like a newborn baby when it comes to experiencing the gift of margin. I'm, I'm really an amateur in this, but I have tasted enough that I'm thirsty to taste more of not being chronically late, of actually being what I would call early, other people would call perhaps on time, arriving to something five to 10 minutes before it quote unquote starts and getting to sit and be um, present and have my heart show up and my body show up. So anyways, there's just a lot underneath that habit of being late. 
that I needed to look at and um, Jesus has invited me to look at over years. I really appreciate your vulnerability with sharing kind of the inside of that. And while, Sherry, you're saying you feel like a newborn in some of it, I just want to name its fruit of putting into practice Mm -hmm. the slow and steady over time and really becoming curious Mm -hmm. about your plank, Mm -hmm. becoming curious about what is operating here rather than simply justifying it. Yes right? Justifying it and then turning to judge other people in that justification. And so even, so as we move on through this passage, what I appreciate, it's a perfect segue to what Jesus says next, where he says, how can you say to your brother, or in this case, how can you say to Morgan, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. Mm -hmm. He says, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly, Mm -hmm. you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The implication here, there are several just beautiful ideas, but one is the first thing we must do to see clearly is to give honest consideration to what is my plank Mm -hmm to release the speck from the other person. Mm -hmm. And in time to understand that plank will be removed Mm -hmm. as we grow in wholeheartedness and integration Mm -hmm. and healing and deliverance, that plank will be removed. We will see clearly, and then we will be able to help others to become whole and see clearly. Mm -hmm. And I'll give just a real practical example with the kind of the chronic late atmosphere. Um, it was really challenging to travel with you in early years. I got to the point where I would dread it because your kind of ever perpetual present tense, while it blessed other people because you're engaging deeply with the person at the ticket counter or the person at <laughs> Starbucks, oh, right? Or yes. um, you are savoring every moment. The reality is with traveling with suitcases and airlines and parking and flights, you kind of have to get your business face on, right? And you have to get it done. And so I would feel a really growing tension with, I need you to be my partner so that we can move from Colorado to an airport on an airplane to Pennsylvania, for example. And I felt very abandoned Mm -hmm. because I felt like it was on my Mm -hmm. own to move the party that was having lots of joy in the process, but it it, it felt hurtful. And then even more importantly, and this is the deep stuff of I felt shame because I wanted to become the person that could be that kind and that engaging. And so it was very accusing to me of you're just not a present person. You actually just don't love well. You're all business. And when the reality was I was trying to love our family by moving forward. Now, in contrast, what I want to say is traveling with you now, as you've put this into practice, is so different. That plank has been removed. And I would say you are as present as you've ever been, but you also have this real fortitude and strength and resolve to say, I'm going to help get it done. And I can count on you to pack and to move the family through transportation and to get us to the next place without taking away from our joy. And the consequence is it's actually allowed me Mm -hmm. to be more present Mm -hmm. and actually been very convicting 
to me because now your maturation really exposes my brokenness and really exposes my unwillingness to deal with my plank. And so in some ways, it, there's a culture of forgiveness begets forgiveness, mm-hmm. love begets love. As you have really put into practice a willingness to look at your plank, it creates an atmosphere mm-hmm. that that draws me mm-hmm. to look at my plank. Mm-hmm. And Morgan, I think that part of part of my needing to look at that plank is I actually needed to really acknowledge and begin to become curious with you of how I have have hurt you, had hurt you for a long time. And it was painful to have to see in the mirror my impact on you. And um, yeah. But um, when I come at that with a desire to grow, like you said, with an anticipation of goodness, that no, Jesus is removing my plank. I want to look in the mirror of what my impact on you has been, not in order to heap like shame or judgment or condemnation Mm -hmm. in that sense of like the static critical spirit, but instead of, no, I want to grow as a lover. I want to grow toward being a mature lover Mm -hmm. and owning, taking responsibility for my impact on those around me, my impact on Morgan. And I want to hear, I want to know what it's been like to live with my plank. It's hard, so hard, but I can tell that it, it's been so meaningful for me when you've invited me to give you feedback on what you are owning as your plank. And it's been so meaningful and hard to hear um, the impact of my plank mm-hmm. on you. And I would dare say planks, p- plural. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> would that it were only one plank, but you know, I think I've, I have multiple planks mm-hmm. that have had mm-hmm. impact on you. Sherry, I appreciate your vulnerability. And I just want to name, um, there has been hurt and We've talked through lots of it and I forgive you and I bless you and I receive your love in that place. And and I also want to say, I have just become more and more deeply aware of my hurt with my plank that, for example, being on time is not the greatest virtue in the kingdom. There's a value to it, but love is the greatest virtue. And there have been many times under the banner of being on time, a false righteousness has really impugned you and caused punishment. And I know that I have hurt you. And and I've really had to own that in my life Mm -hmm. that I want to become the kind of person who the highest virtue that I live out is love And sometimes that may express itself as being on time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so I too am very curious about owning the full weight of the impact of my plank on you in this situation. I really loved what you said earlier, Morgan, about the mirror you felt was being held up to you about um, kind of maybe some volatility in your mood. I was just curious if you might be willing, maybe we can take it off of the late, Mm -hmm. but if there's other ways that Jesus, what I hear you saying is possibly that is a a plank that Jesus is inviting you to look at. Yes. And what it means for you to take that 
and look at it as yes. as a as a as your plank, and where maybe where you feel tempted to resist owning that that's a plank. Yes. And I really am moved by the word self-righteousness because I think that gets in the way a lot for me. If we were to ask the question of what gets in the way of love, that sort of self-righteousness, for example, me being self-righteous about being present to people and overvaluing that, or you being self-righteous about being timely, and both of us um, had a (laughs) funny version of self-righteousness in that. And where those two, it was like we could not befriend each other as long as we were in self Righteousness, Right. Well, it's equally diabolical, just taking (laughs) very different expressions, right? right? Isn't that ironic? So one of the phrases we talk about regularly in our household is borrowed from Brene Brown, where she describes that blame is our effort to discharge pain. Mm. And so, Sherry, when you ask that question about the volatility in my mood, I am aware that late being a context for it, it exposes... um, a myriad of circumstances that trigger that dynamic in me that out of a lot of pain, I can easily discharge it in blame. Mm. So I can blame your chronic being late as justification Mm. when reality is it's merely a manifestation. Mm. It's merely a context for this pain to come out. Mm. I have a deeply emotional kind of core, and I'm also a deeply intense person, and I feel a lot, but I live very intensely. And out of my brokenness, out of the false self, that can really lead to exhaustion Mm. and vulnerability. And I'm actually very sobered at how little regulation I've had in my mood over the years Mm. in this area, that I want to be the kind of person that is just steady, and yet I'm very sobered by my lows and my highs and the volatility of that. And when I get curious, it feels really vulnerable Mm. because I don't really know all that's going on under there, but I just know it gets triggered very deeply, very easily. Mm. And so, my exploring my plank has caused me to say, oh, this has nothing to do with you being late. Your being late is triggering this reality that gets triggered all the time that has everything to do with my internal world and Mm -hmm. something that I need to explore with God and I need to get more Mm -hmm. healing in. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've grown in ways over that. For example, today, just as a living metaphor, you, you were late today and actually provided this pause for me to even have some more time to just center and be in my soul. And I could feel this gratitude Mm. because it was no longer about staying on the clock. It Mm. was about being united with God and present Mm. to you so that we could love and love each other and love our friends out there that are participating in this podcast. That's beautiful, Morgan. Thank you for sharing. My sense is it would be good for us to take a pause here and sit with what we've already brought up and then come back and pick our conversation back up. Sherry, that sounds great. I would just love for you to pray for us Mm -hmm. in closing for this first Mm -hmm. episode. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, I can feel um, just the vulnerability, even of talking about these places in our marriage, God, where we have um, experienced pain, where we have um, harmed 
and been harmed. And so, God, I ask that you would come right now, that you would come and very gently, very kindly, and very securely contain our places. Jesus, we give you the places of pain in our marriage. We give you access, God. And I ask both for Morgan and for me and for all of our friends listening now, God, even now, for a portion of healing, God, that that um, not to diminish the wound, but to have a perhaps a just an extraction of some of the intensity of the pain. Would you come, God, that we could talk about these things without feeling like um, just talking about them might take us out or talking about them might tempt us to a place where we're just going to harm each other even more. Come and contain us. And I ask for um, that you would lead each couple, Morgan and me included, that you would lead us, God, into a spacious place where there's, um, God, it just feels like space from some of the emotional charge where it feels like there's a lot of breath and a lot of room, where we can talk about these things and come together with you, with our own story and with each other in a place that feels contained and safe. Jesus, thank you that you are our teacher, that you have given us, God, a front row seat with a full scholarship in your master class of living and loving and becoming. Thank you, God, we take our seat as your students. In Jesus' name. And Morgan, one question to offer from this first episode is just as a chance to know yourself and know each other would be, what have you done with the Sermon on the Mount? Just as broadly as a, in your walk with God, Maybe what has it meant to you in the past, and what are you sensing Jesus inviting you into in terms of a present tense relationship with His teaching in the Sermon on the Mount? Friends, thank you for joining Sherry and I on this edition of the Become Good Soil podcast. We want to invite you to join us for the second half of this conversation in the next episode. We look forward to connecting with you then.